Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This is part of our Craft Talk Friday edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast. We're running in November, December 2021, in which we're releasing earlier Patreon episodes, Craft Talks that I've had with uh, experienced authors. Now, you may ask, what's Patreon? Well, Patreon is a place where supporters of the podcast for a few dollars a month uh, can help us help authors give voice to their written words. And in return, we provide exclusive content. There are over 100 uh, exclusive episodes available at our Patreon channel. That's patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. But for these Fridays in November, December of 2021, we're going to be providing some of our early Patreon episodes to our general listening public. Before I introduce today's author or guest, uh, just a quick reminder that you can find out everything you need to know about Charlotte Readers Podcast at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find our show notes there. You can find uh, all the episodes uh, that we've released. Uh, you can also find our community blog and a way to sign up for the book report, which we send out to you every two weeks with information about the podcast, good books, uh, doses of inspiration, that kind of thing. And uh, hey, we don't spam you because that takes way too much time. I've got one more plug, and it's a shameless one at that. This episode is also brought to you by my own books. You can find out more about my books at LandisWade.com. We've got information there about my Christmas courtroom trilogy, the individual books, and we've also bound them together in one ebook collection if you like ebooks. My next novel, titled Deadly Declarations, is coming out next year. In the first quarter of 2022, it's a mystery. We got information about that on the website as well, landisway.com. It involves the controversial and long-missing Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. A man dies while he's writing a book about the Mech Deck, and when they find his body, the manuscript is missing. But that's enough preamble for today. I want to thank you for spending your valuable time with us. We really appreciate it. And now, let's meet the author and listen to the episode. Today's episode features Tracy Lee Curtis. She's got a funny bone that extends throughout her body. We recorded this episode about two years ago. When we first started recording our Patreon episodes, and uh, Tracy and I had met each other because we were both hawking our Christmas books, uh, I think, uh, up in Davidson at Main Street Books and uh, stayed in touch over time. And uh, she was on the podcast and brought uh, a whole lot of levity to the show. And so I said, let's go do this Patreon thing and talk about uh, humor writing. She is an award-winning author and a former syndicated humor columnist for the McClatchy Company Nationwide. Uh, she wrote over 500 columns for the Charlotte Observer and published a Humor Me trilogy of gift books, collections of her columns from the last decade about the imperfection of motherhood. Tracy says that uh, you can find the funny in almost anything if you look hard enough. Her three books uh, are Trophy Mom, Beach Bummed, and Holidays. Uh, Holidays was awarded a uh, National 2016 Independent Publisher Book Award. And in 2017, Tracy was announced as a top 10 finalist in the Anna Leffler Irma Bombeck Humorist in Residence Writing Competition that drew over 400 applicants from 600 countries. Uh, she's been a uh, CNN producer. She enjoyed a 15-year career on radio, television, and film. She speaks to literary groups and business organizations. She teaches humor workshops. And she's also performed stand-up at the Comedy Zone. And she says this, too. When she's not writing, she's unloading the dishwasher. Now, in this episode that we recorded, Tracy talks about her bag of tricks. She talks about her history, how she got into writing humor, which starts with a story about American Idol. We'll do some of that on the episode. She gives her humor tips. She gives some suggestions. And she, uh, she does a reading or two that uh, illustrates 
uh, how she uh, employs her bag of tricks. In my book that's coming out, Daily Declarations, it is a cozy mystery, meaning that uh, having set it in a retirement community, uh, there is some humor in it. Uh, I do it uh, through some of the characters and some of the settings and some of the dialogue, but I had uh, some of Tracy's ideas in the back of my mind as I was trying to craft some of that uh, humor uh, into the manuscript. This is a fun episode for me. I, I think it'll be fun for you. I hope you'll enjoy uh, you know, getting behind the scenes here to figure out how uh, a humorist does her work. Let's listen in. It's great to have you then. I was thinking, you know, who better to talk about writing humor than uh, Tracy Curtis, who's written so many humor essays, and I've been to a couple of your courses, uh, Tracy. But, hey, before we do that, let's talk a little bit more about Tracy's history, this sort of uh, all these different things you've done. I want to hear about this American Idol thing again, all right? Well, you know, it's it's funny when, you know, I think people ask me, how did I become a humor writer? And I think I think in my head I always always think that what's going to be interesting to people is sort of the unexpected. And so years ago, I guess it was 2005, um, I, was a, I was an American Idol fan, and I really enjoyed the show. And they were uh, – there was a local – contest going on the local fox station was going to send someone out to the american idol finale this would be the year that carrie underwood won yeah, and you just um, said well i'm just going to do this right and i was like you know that sounds like fun you know all you had to do was uh send in a video showing or telling why you would be the perfect red carpet correspondent and so they were showing a lot of the videos in the mornings you know here's a here's a new uh video that we got here's an applicant video and they were all sort of the same thing, everyone standing there with a microphone, just sort of talking into the camera. And I thought, well, I want to do something different that'll set me apart from all the others. And I didn't know exactly what I would do, but there was a neighborhood picnic uh, that night. And I thought, well, I'll just take my camera and go around and interview some people and like show how I interview people and get information out of them. Well, to my surprise, no one at this barbecue watched American Idol. So everyone I asked, you know, who do you think is going to win? Well, I don't watch that show. Okay, well, what do you think of Simon Cowell? Well, I don't know who that is. And at one point, I was trying to ask leading questions. There was a contestant that year named Constantine. And I said, well, what do you think of Constantine? And the guy goes, what is that, a laxative? <laughs> and so I had all these sound bites of, you know, people in utter disgust at this television show. And I thought, well, now what am I going to do? I don't have anything to make my video with because no one watches the show. And then it dawned on me, I'll send in a video about a group of people who hate American Idol. <laughs> that will definitely set me apart. And I've seen the video. It's good. And you've got people out on the street and you got some dance. you got all kind of just things happening and you're interviewing people with your, your hairbrush and things of that nature. Yeah. I had to, yeah, I had a hairbrush microphone <laughs> and we did a lot of silly things and I sent it in and I tell you, it was on television the next morning, and they were like, wait till you see the video <laughs> that we got from this girl, Tracy Curtis. And I think it was because, you know, I didn't do the normal thing. I thought outside the box. I found a way to draw attention to myself in a humorous way, and I think that that's why I ended up winning. And in winning that contest, I was sent to Los Angeles to, of course, cover the American Idol finale, but the thing that became the unexpected twist in all of this was the Charlotte Observer asked me to blog from behind the scenes. And that is what ultimately led to my writing career. Yeah, so you started blogging for them and you started writing about uh, sort of motherhood and all that goes with it. And then they said, well, why don't you just you know, do this as a regular column? And you're like, I think I remember you telling them, but I don't have anything to say. And they're like, no, just say say what you're saying. You know, Talk about life. Talk about things. And you just said... Trace, you must, you're naturally, you got a funny bone, right? You're naturally thinking of turning things on their head, you know, trying to find, <laughs> you know, the, the humor in the odd or the humor in the sad or the humor in the whatever. Um, but uh, that led to this, as you said, writing this monthly, no, weekly column, right? Yeah, it was a <laughs> weekly column. And, you know, the funny thing about it was, you know, I, there was no part of me that thought that I could do it. I mean, I had written all these silly behind-the-scenes blogs about American Idol, Again, just sort of covering the the finale in sort of a, a humorous, funny way. 
But when it came to writing about my personal life, I, I just said, well, I, I just don't know what I would talk about. And they said, well, just take something that happened and then, you know, just tell it in your funny way. And if I really, you know, think about it now, I think back then, and a lot of moms and dads may relate to this, it's so hard what we do, like trying to be, you know, the perfect wife and mother and sister and daughter and friend, and we're trying to have it all and be it all and do it all and look at doing it. And it's really hard. And I think sometimes you just have to laugh about it because we're all trying to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. And it's, there's so much hilarity in the fact that we keep trying. And so I think I was taking things that happen each day, things that were really hard and then just sort of putting a new spin on them and making you see them in a whole new way. All right, Tracy, so this column, you, uh, the blog you had was called? Stork Raving Mad, 40 and Pregnant. <laughs> and is that what you were at the time? <laughs> I was both. Yeah, so after I got back mm-hmm. from L.A., um, the, the Charlotte Observer online newspaper, charlotteobserver.com, had asked me to blog about uh, being pregnant in 40, they had gotten wind that I was, as you pointed out, both. <laughs> and um, and so there again, there were there were a lot of books out that time, you know, about motherhood and, you know, all the sort of the the sort of, you know, usual things, you know, the, the bloating and the weight gain and the tiredness and all of those things. And I really wanted to write a pregnancy column um, or blog that sort of covered all the things that you don't really think about, like seeing younger doctors. My doctor, I mean, he was like 12. Um, <laughs> Doogie, had, Doogie Hauser, right? A Doogie Hauser. Um, you know, I was trying to dress for 40 and pregnancy. I had sisters who were pregnant. We were fighting over baby names. So I wrote about all these other silly things outside of the usual pregnancy stories. All right. So um, that stork raving mad, it led to the column. The column led to you writing over 500, you know, weekly uh, columns that, uh, you know, where you're putting your humor spin on on life. Um, And then you decide, well, I'm going to just take a lot of these columns as you as you developed your voice and put these three humor books out, the Humor Me trilogy that you got, but even there you didn't stop, not because you now you get this. So now you're gonna you're gonna get some blurbs for the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for for those of you listening who are wondering what a blurb is, so a blurb is that really nice compliment that you get on the back of your book from someone who is much more famous than you are, who kind of vouches for you, and so. I, I wanted to put collections of my columns in books, but I was doing it sort of quickly. And I just didn't really know a lot of people that would vouch for me, basically. So, so, so basically you slandered Mother Nature and the Fairy Godmother and Trophy Mom because you had them provide some blurbs for you, right? Yeah, so I sort of <laughs> stole the idea from uh, Tina Fey. I don't know how many of you ever read uh, Bossy Pants, but she had blurbs from like her dad and her high school boyfriend and her science teacher. And I thought, well, that's, that's a cute way of doing it. So for, for trophy mom, I just had blurbs from all the different types of mothers that you might have. Yeah. I think mother nature gave you a nice nod here with uh, Tracy's collection of columns is a breath of fresh air and so blooming funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I like this one. Uh, I'm surprised to read Tracy still doesn't know how to cook, former mother-in-law, you know. <laughs> what? She doesn't cook? Soon to be mother-in-law? Yes. <laughs> Did you? You probably have as much fun writing the blurbs as, uh, and now like this, I don't get the title. Did you win something? Mom. <laughs> yeah, yes. for, for Trophy Mom, yeah. Uh, so you take their humor and you take it into your, when did you find that you actually had this voice that uh, was naturally bent toward the humorous well you know the interesting thing is I I never set out to be a writer and until I had blogged from behind the scenes in American Idol I had never written anything in my life my parents are both hysterically funny and my mom's always the one to write the cute little funny poem you know for the birthday or the anniversary and she had a hilarious uh, Christmas letter that she put out so I think just growing up in that kind of sarcasm and dry wit, it was just sort of part of me. And then I just found motherhood to be such a hard thing that, I don't know, I think 
like in a lot of things, you know, my motto is if you can't laugh about it, what's the point? Mm. And so I just sort of found ways to make light of hard situations. And for whatever reason, that comes naturally to me. I could never write like the neighborhood newsletter, but I can write 500, you know, words on some silly topic. I might want you writing the neighborhood newsletter. You know? <laughs> I cannot do it. I, I can't write a straight piece. No, no, it doesn't have to be straight. I mean, you know, you can add your own little twist on why we can't have certain kind of fences in the yeah. neighborhood. You know? That I could do. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to tackle that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, okay, so now we're going to take your experience here and we're going to talk uh, humor writing. You obviously learned some things over the years. Uh, you said you didn't start out as a writer, but having written these columns, you sort of fell into this uh, routine, so to speak, of trying to figure out, you know, how to turn things on their head, how to find the funny in them. But first of all, let's just talk about humor itself. How, how What do you think of when you think of uh, writing humor, Tracy? Well, so if, if I had to define humor, um, I would say is it's creative misdirection. So you're basically engaging the reader by taking them someplace that they don't expect to go. And that's what kind of makes it fun and interesting when you think it's going in one direction and then it kind of gets turned on its head. Um, it's making the reader see something in a whole new way. I had so many moms, you know, write to me and say, gosh, that story you told in the paper this Sunday, like that same thing happened to me, but I just didn't think it was funny at the time. But the way you told the story, it made me kind of laugh about it. And that's what you want to do. Um, try to find the lighter, funnier side of things. And really, if you think about it, everything does have a lighter side to it if you're willing to look for it. Um, levity is the opposite of gravity. And even if your subject is a serious one, the subtle use of humor can, it can both ease tension and it can also, pres- you know, provide like a respite from a difficult moment. Um, and if you, if you get good at it, that kind of becomes your distinct voice. A lot of people who read my stuff and know me, they say, gosh, you know, when I'm reading this, I hear your voice. Or when they talk to me, they, they, they understand my column, and that's what you want. And that's, that's everything as a writer, which, you know, determining your distinct voice. Some of the misconceptions about humor is, you know, that it's like jokes or something. I think when people meet me, they're surprised you know, I'm not like, you know, cracking one-liners. I'm, I'm actually a pretty serious person. But humor, it's not jokes. It's not punchlines. It's, it's not comedy or slapstick or anything like that. I think it's more, uh, it's wit. It's, it's dryness, maybe a little snarkiness. But um, it, it's smart. So, um my wife Janet and I have been watching this show on Netflix called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> and there, there's a scene in there where she discloses to her family that she's a stand-up comic. And Moyes, he's one of the uh, in-laws. You know, he says, all right, tell us a joke. T- tell me a joke. You say you're a comic? Tell me a joke. She says, well, it's not like that. No, no, no you say you're a comic. Tell me a joke. She says, well, I talk about my family, and I talk about uh, life, and I talk about this. He goes, that's not funny. I'm not hearing <laughs> <laughs> you know, I says he's waiting on the punchline. You know, he's waiting on the on the joke. Uh, but in in writing, uh, it's not really it's not stand up comedy. Um, and even some stand up comedy, like on that show, is more uh, stream of consciousness or commenting on life in general or what you're going through. And that's a little bit like what you you were doing. You're 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 telling these stories, I guess, but you're you're finding some misdirection in the story. I mean, what starting out as changing a diaper might end up somewhere else entirely or what might start out of going to the doctor to see the professional. You walk away having had your first meeting with Doogie Howser, you know, and reflect. Yeah, (laughs) no, exactly. And Mm. you know, Mm. you know what it is? It's just, it's being really observant. It's noticing 
silly things. I'll never be funny then. <laughs> no, you're an observant person. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you notice everything. Ask, ask my wife. Yeah, <laughs> said, did you observe that the dishwasher was full this morning when you left? <laughs> it had already been cleaned. Did you observe that? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and speaking of the dishwasher, so this is a perfect example. Yeah, because you talk about the dishwasher. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I talk about my dishwasher a lot, but you know, perfect example of just something that happened that's probably happened to everyone. But, you know, we were on a beach trip and, you know, those detergent pods, they mm. all look alike. So you've got, <laughs> you know, the laundry detergent pods and then right. you have the dishwashing detergent I, pods. I can see where this is going. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're on a trip, they get mixed up and, it, you know, it's and everyone's mad about it because, the you know, the, the dishes smell like fresh laundry <laughs> and all the laundry, you know, uh, you know. Tastes good. Yeah. Taste, yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's hysterical, yeah. you know, and then you go back and you think of all the things that, you know, define, you know, yeah. laundry and, yeah. and, and dishes and you start mixing and matching words and all of a mm-hmm. sudden you've got yourself a really mm-hmm. funny column. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, before we get into your bag of tricks here, Tracy, um, let's talk about a few suggestions you've got uh, in writing, writing humor. Sarcasm is great, but you know it has to be used in the right way. I mean, you don't want to be too sarcastic because it can it can be distancing. And you know the the main thing I think about humor is to make it feel inclusive. So you don't want to be too sarcastic. Keeping it clean. That is like that. That was something uh, I had to had did a stand up comedy class, and we all had to do a three minute set, and we were required to keep our set clean, no bad language. And um, for a lot of people, it was really hard uh, because you can kill a lot of time with these long, you know, uh, riffs full of expletives. But it's easier to make something dirty than to uh, clean something up. So you want to always start clean. I can tell you. Um, with everything that's out there now, I think that made my stuff stand out because it was unusually clean, you know, for this time. And even the novel that I wrote doesn't have any bad language in it or sexual innuendo. And I remember that was one of the things that they really found refreshing, that it was a, you know, 80,000 words that was clean. 80,000 words without the F word once, right? Without the <laughs> F word once. You, it can be done. Well, wait a minute, then, then it must not be a, a true story. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Um, and yeah. then I think one of the most important things, and this is the hardest one for writers because you really have to put yourself out there, it's to be honest. And and if you can be self-deprecating, that's what makes it feel inclusive. When you're when you when you're kind of ripping on yourself. Um, it's sort of saying we're all in this together. We're all failing every day. We're all trying to figure it out. And if you're acting like you have all the answers and you're the know-it-all, you will lose your readership. Um, People want to feel like you're like them. You know, they're you and you're them and, you know, we're a team. And I think that's why the column was successful because it made my readers feel like they weren't alone. Mm-hmm. And that things that happened to them happened to me, happened to everyone, and we're all just trying to figure it out. Yeah, you're you're relatable in that sense, and and you're not you're not trying to be perfect because you're not, and you're letting other know, other people know that it's okay to uh, to make mistakes uh, and to look at them in a different way, right? I mean, That's right. it's very easy to uh, throw out the f bomb after something happens, but to reflect on it and say, you know. That was kind of funny. I mean, I remember the one you, you, you talked about in one of your Christmas books on the podcast, uh, one of your trilogy books, uh, which was called Holidays, and people go out and get it. It's funny. But you went down to see the, the bears at, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at, at, the, at the big hall down there, you know, the singing bears. Founders and, Hall. Yeah, and it was going to be – you just had this idea it was going to be perfect. The kids were going to – you dressed them up. You know, it's going to be just a lovely Christmas event. And everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And on that particular day, you were probably just beside yourself. You know, you can't give your kids a good Christmas. This is not working. And then you sat back and you reflected on it. And you turned it into a really funny essay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, so does that help too? I mean, just, uh, I mean, does it cut down on your therapy? To ther- have to terrible ther- things happen. Does it, does it cut down on your therapy cost to, to, to write about it? <laughs> You know what? That's an interesting point. Yeah. You know, they all tell you, you know, everyone should journal. It'll make you feel better. Yeah. Um, 
I think when you're forced to sit down and find the funny, as uh, as Joel Pace at the Comedy Zone would tell you that you need to do, um, finding the funny in things, um, it's hard, but it is therapeutic. And that day that you mentioned, it's actually one of the first essays in my book, Holidays, it really, I mean, to, to tell you it was a devastating day is just an understatement. I, I really did end up on the marble floors of Founders Hall sobbing while people were stopping saying, ma'am, can we help you? <laughs> I was just she says, no, I'm just work, I'm, wor- I'm working, on, working on my material. Don't worry about it. I was <laughs> crying. The children were crying. And mm-hmm. I just, it, you know, it's just. It's just like, why can't Christmas be perfect? Isn't everybody's Christmas perfect? Why can't yeah. mine be perfect? Why are, why are these children so rotten? How did this whole thing fall you, apart? You, you must not watch my favorite Christmas movie, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. <laughs> we just watched that, actually. <laughs> That's so it? funny. Yes, I have a new appreciation. <laughs> yeah, we watch that every year. I, I like to do it a little closer to Christmas after I'm really just about wired out with it, you know, to, to laugh about the season, you know? So. Yeah, and Christmas, you know, in particular, like, that was sort of one of those days where I, at the end of the day, I had to say, you know, well, that's what I get for, you know, getting everybody dressed up and, you know, the perfect day with mommy at the, at the Christmas show. Um, you you got to know, it's not going to go the way you planned it. Yeah, and yeah. that's what's funny about it. And that's what I was saying before. We're all trying to do everything perfectly perfect. It's never going to be perfect. We're always surprised that it, that it all went south. Yeah. And that's funny. And we're going to, you know, in this uh, member-only content section for all of you who are listening, I, again, appreciate all the good support you're providing uh, to help me help authors give voice to their written words. Uh, I'm going to be doing, in addition to these segments with authors, some uh, some host-curated uh, content, and I might even go into some of the, uh, the the stupid things I've done along the way with uh, <laughs> podcasting, like, hey, Gilda Cyrus, if you're listening out there, give a little primer here, but the last 10 minutes of your episode, uh, I had muted my own voice, so th- there was creative <laughs> editing in that. We got all your answers and none of my questions, you know? <laughs> so, so. Imagine when I'm editing that for the first time, you know, and listening to that, say this this is going to be really hard to fix, you know. <laughs> Maybe you should mute my voice. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to mute. I don't want to mute the person's voice who's, who's actually coming. He's got something to say. So, all right, Tracy. So, like anything that uh, a writer does, you know, whether they sit down to write a book or an essay or a short story. There's a little thought that goes into it. Some 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 writers might outline. Some writers might jot down some information some writers might do stream of consciousness but they got to go back and fix it after they've done it so when you're writing humor it just kind of flows right there's no problem you don't have to prepare you don't have to think about it that- <laughs> yeah. you've heard of wishful drinking right yeah, yeah. yeah this okay. is wishful thinking all right so let's talk about um, this idea of you know getting your mind right thinking about sort of preparing yourself before you start writing this humorous piece yeah so for me like you know i I always kind of start with what's going to be the point. And then you want anything you write to have a beginning and a middle and an end. But what happens is, especially when you're writing humor, you know, you've got to have, you got to bring the funny. And I don't just sit down and just come up with funny lines. I have to really think about what am I trying to do and how to make it, you know, as humorous as possible. So th- like, this is your brainstorming session, right? You're, you get out your my, pad and you're starting to write things down. So this is like a brainstorming session with yourself. Right. I mean, you think of a brainstorming session, you think of a room full of people and a big whiteboard. You're, and storming, you're, all, you're storming your own brain. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> my brain is storming. Yeah. And so, for instance, um, in my novel, uh, it was just one little thing where, you know, a main character was going to go into this bar and I wanted to have a poster outside of a band that was playing inside the bar. And I didn't want to just use some kind of lame name. I wanted something that was sort of cute and, you know, funny, edgy. But, like, I don't have time to come up with some clever band name. And so what I do is I take just 30 seconds to make two lists. Because if you think about it, band names are typically an adjective and a noun. So for instance, Twisted Sister, you know, Black Sabbath, Grateful Dead, Talking Heads, um, Cheap Trick. So I thought, all right, I'm just going to make one whole list of adjectives, one whole list of nouns, and then I'm going to look at 
what's on the left side and what's on the right side and maybe find something that are kind of like opposites that would be kind of a funny name. And in the end, I came up with Feathered Chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just like one little piece of the book, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I didn't want to waste the opportunity to have something kind of interesting. And and I took a little class you taught at Charlotte Lit uh, about uh, humor, and you you put us through, in a similar fashion, a little exercise, doing blank is like blank. Yeah, Yeah. so one of my tricks is, what is it like? So years ago, when they announced that they were going to start serving beer at Starbucks, I was outraged because, like, <laughs> that's where I go to think, not catch a buzz. You think, not drink. That could be the post. Yeah, yeah. Think, d- not thinking, not drinking. Yeah. And so I wanted to write a funny column, you know, walking into a Starbucks and ordering a beer is like walking into a blank and ordering a blank. Mm. But again, like, I don't I can't just come up with these things. I have to brainstorm. So I made a list of all these different specialty stores like Omega Sports, Earth Fair, the bike shop, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, the public library, you know, Euphoria yogurt place. And then for each one of those things, I made a list of the funniest thing that they sell in that store. So Omega Sports, ping pong ball, that's kind of funny. Uh, at Earth Fair, Tofu, uh, the bike shop, a bicycle pump, um, you know, the public library, Moby Dick, you know. So I came up with this list of things that you would buy in those stores, and then I looked at my list, and I tried to find the most, uh, you know, the most opposite thing, the thing that just would make the least amount of sense. And so what I came up with is walking into a Starbucks and ordering a beer is like walking into Euphoria and ordering a steak. But you're trying to mix and match these things, You're trying right? to mix and match and just yeah. make it the most absurd option. Chick-fil-A, a hamburger, I don't know, liquor store, fruit punch, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Bookstore, DVD. You got yeah. it. Yeah. See, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> a nail salon, broken nails, yeah. <laughs> Bent nails. <laughs> Penny nails, yeah, okay. All right, so you, you do this, and you're sitting down, and that's just one piece of what you're writing, but you've got to do this sort of brainstorming to get that sort of one line to work. But sometimes you actually build these essays around that idea, right? Like the whole idea of Starbucks and the beer. So you took that and you started riffing on it, right? In your, yeah, uh, so that was one of my little tricks was, you know, to express outrage. Like, you know, how could they? Why would they? You know, this is this is insanity. It's worlds colliding, you know, it's 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 supposed to be a place that picks you up, not yeah. knocks you out. It's not PetSmart and Cat Litter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, maybe. What, okay, well, I'm going to leave that to you, Tracy. You, you, <laughs> okay. I got to go. To, when's your next class? We're gonna, I, know, I was about to say, I'm going to assign Landis <laughs> up for an hour. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll do that. All right, let's get into some more uh, of your bag of tricks here because I think uh, there's some valuable, some valuable thoughts here. And you're going to have a little reading, too, to, um, after you – go through some of these tricks to illustrate, uh, you know, how you use these tricks in a particular piece. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the bag of tricks. Yeah. So, you know, people say, well, how do you, how do you make something, you know, humorous? And I just, I kind of went back and started looking at everything I've written and, and then I kind of came up with a list of things that I tend to use a lot. So, you know, alliteration is an easy one, you know, when you're using the first, you know, consonant of the words the same. So deceptively delicious, uh, Peter Piter picked a peck, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then is one I really like. It's taking a silly thing and making it sillier. So, for instance, I took out the garbage, then I took it for a walk, then I introduced it to somebody else's garbage <laughs> so they could talk trash. <laughs> so it's just sort of like taking something and this, you know, exaggerating it and even then, more and, and more. Then, yeah, yeah, and then and then let's see, double entendre is always a good one. Um, that's a, a phrase of figure of speech that could have two meanings. Um, so like uh, Hannibal Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs says, I wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> um, Ann Ipock, the name of her book was Life is Short, I Wish I Were Taller. Yeah. <laughs> so those, you know, those are harder to do, but they're yeah. very clever and they always get a chuckle. 
Of course, exaggeration is always my favorite, taking a small thing and then completely blowing it out of proportion. You, you never do that, do you, Tracy? <laughs> <laughs> Moi? Yeah. Um, fact with a twist. This was something that I learned from Joel Pace at the Comedy Zone. You're basically stating a fact and then st- stating another fact that is a funny take on the first fact, which is a misdirection. So, for instance, I don't like dirty martinis. That's just one more thing to clean. <laughs> so fact right. with a twist. Um, I like to run as long as it's errands. Yeah. Fact with yeah. a twist. Yeah. You know, and then defining the funny. Look for something in a, you know, looking at something in a completely different way. Um, you know, write it, draw it, you know, think it out, act it out. There's something funny in everything. You just have to find it. And you want to get to the funny. So many times people who write humor, they do this long and involved setup. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, in comedy, you, you better have a laugh. You, within, only, you only have a few, few minutes, you, right? You have, you have eight seconds to make somebody laugh. So, um, so that's true also in writing. I mean, people who, who are authors who have been doing this many years and talk about having interacted with their editors saying, you know, I really, I really, really like the uh, – beginning of your book the problem was uh, i found it on page 60 yes you know, you know you need to start where the action is right yes and the same is true in trying to be funny yeah and then you know then there are the obvious things you know irony juxtaposition metaphors um we talked about outrage um i love puns uh words with the same pronunciation but different meanings so like for instance she had a photographic memory but never developed it. Um, I love those. Never put it to good use, yeah. Um, I love the rule of three, which is pairing two like ideas um, in a list, and then you add a third, which is sort of an incongruent idea. So, for example, I always travel with a flat iron, flow nays, and an extra person in case I need a kidney. So two that are... (laughs) Real and then two, one that two, two that are matter of fact a little you know, yeah and one that's just so not matter of fact right you know. and again that's the twist that's yeah. the unexpected that's where you get the chuckle solutions come up with completely unexpected solutions so for example the solution to kids fighting all the time is to play the quiet game for a month for a month a whole month yeah um, <laughs> I always like coming up with solutions especially when writing about uh, kids. Speculation, um, form a theory or conjecture about a subject uh, without firm evidence. So, like, for example, I think Valentine's Day was created by men who needed to make up for Christmas. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm right about that one. Are you? Are you right? <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was meant to be funny, well, I think I'm on to something. What happens when I miss Valentine's Day? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, does Easter, is it, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe a memorial, I don't know. Is, well, I'll tell you what happens. That's when somebody's <laughs> giving up something for Lent, and but, you're not going to like that. Uh, okay, <laughs> now we're getting to the misdirection that I'm not fond of. <laughs> um, and then, uh, then the last one, uh, what if, uh, basically you just ask a question, and then you have fun answering it. So, for example, um, what if I acted like my toddler, refused to get in the car, screamed down the aisles of the grocery, and then threw myself down on the floor when nobody would give me a cookie? Hmm. So, just like you did on the on the floor downtown when the kids exactly. didn't give it exactly. <laughs> the perfect Christmas. Yeah, we had dueling temper tantrums, and you exactly. know what? It yeah. felt good. It felt good. You got it out. You got it out. That's <laughs> <laughs> good to get it out. Uh, so, okay, well, that's that's great. The the bag of tricks. Um, and do you find, even though you've had this experience, Tracy, of writing uh, these 500 or more columns, you put them together in a book, you write essays too, you've written this novel that's out there uh, being shopped at the moment, uh, do you still find yourself going back to your your list and your thoughts and your brainstorming sessions every time you go into writing something to be funny? Yeah, nothing gets necessarily easier, and every piece is different. And sometimes they come quicker than others. But, you know, you've got to do the work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you hear people say, especially in comedy, when you do your set, um, you know, even one line of your set, they say, okay, that's the start. Make it funnier. Like you, you can rework the same line over and over and over again. It's, It's almost like the editing process is never over. 
And the day that, you know, you're putting out something that's not your best work is the day you really need to rethink being a writer. Mm-hmm. And um, so every single piece that I do, you know, I start kind of with a one pass, but then I go back and say, all right, this needs to be punched up a little bit. This could be a little snarkier. Let me let me think of a way. Maybe I can do what is it like, or maybe I could do a pun here, but you know, you start kind of really breaking down the elements of what you're trying to say and then opening it up to some misdirection and some surprises. Mm. And I'm assuming that's what stand-up comics do as well. They're, uh, going back to Mrs. Maisel for a minute, there was this scene, and it might have been season two or the recent season three, where she's trying out her act, and they and they use a progression. They have her in there trying a joke and then trying it again and then right. trying it again. And about the seventh or eighth or ninth time, you know, the audience is laughing more. They're getting it more. Her timing's better. And so it was a nice illustration of how the stand-up was working on their craft. And you're talking about the same thing in, in writing, correct? You, you want to write it, hone it, look for the funny in it, keep tweaking it to find to find that uh, funny moment. Well, and I remember the scene you're talking about, and I can't remember the specifics, but I remember I was struck by how she was saying the same right. thing. But with different pauses, but with, with different... Il- inflection, inf- right. the pausing, the timing, the where she punched, where she mm-hmm. let it lie. But it was basically the same story. It was just a couple of lines, right? Mm-hmm. It was something about her parents, wasn't right. it? Yeah. Fighting or something? Yeah. And she just told that those same, she said those same two ideas five different ways. Mm. And and in the end, it really was funnier the way she ended up saying it than when she had first said it. Right. So you might be experimenting an essay, and so you've got some prose. Okay, that's kind of funny, but what if I dropped a little dialogue in here? What if I, you know, had them notice something that was hanging on the wall that kind of tied into the funny and, and illustrated a point, or you know, you're constantly looking for that uh, to to punch up, you know, this yeah. idea that you got. And sometimes I find, like, I think that the <laughs> I remember once my my editor was frustrated with me because he was trying to cut one of my pieces down, and he said, "The thing about you is you write so tight. There's no way to edit it mm. because." Every word matters. And when I heard that, just because I never wanted anybody messing with my stuff, I wrote as tight as I could. You could not take out a comma without messing the whole thing up. Mm. Or so you, so you thought until the editor got a hold of it, right? <laughs> well, I mean, he really, I mean, you, it, it, it yeah. really threw him because yeah. you, he couldn't take out whole sentences because right. everything was important. But what I found is my stuff is, you know, people like it and, the novel that I wrote, everyone who's read the manuscript told me they read it in two days. Mm. And the reason for that is because I don't use unnecessary words. Mm. I write tight. It reads fast. It moves fast. And a lot of times I think writers just, they use too many words. And when I write like a sentence and I'm like, yeah, that's all right. If I go back and really tighten it, that's sort of what makes it humorous. Right. I mean, if you're thinking you need to write 90,000 words because that's the norm for a novel and you just you know, just padding the last ten or twelve or fifteen thousand. Cut mm-hmm. it off at sixty thousand words and make oh it tight. Gosh. You know. Yeah. No, I'm saying I'm yeah. I'm serious. Like taking out unnecessary words and just saying what you mean and meaning what you say, making it move along. I, I think that's critical for mm-hmm. humor. Unless you're David Sedaris, and then you can write as long as you want, and you'll still be right. funny. Exactly. But um, well, let's do this. We want to hear a little bit, uh, Tracy, about uh, you know some uh, an example of your work before we wrap up today um, and let's set this up a second because it involves the the pope right yeah yes. I mean, <laughs> we're not you know we're everything has humor and uh you hope we're not going to offend anybody here but this is not really we're not really offending the pope it has something to do with uh something the pope something touched that, right something that happened so right, right. a few years ago the pope was in america and he was giving a speech um he was in dc and he was in the congressional chamber, and when he left the podium, one of the representatives grabbed, it was Pope Francis, grabbed Pope Francis's drinking glass and took off with it. And so the headline in the paper was, you know, uh, Congressman Steals Pope's Water Glass. And I thought, 
I don't know what this story is about, but but, got, but it's it. my next column. First of all, I got to read it to find out what's going on. Yeah. yeah, and so so people say, well, how do you come up with ideas for your columns? And and I you know over time I did move away from family humor and I just started writing everyday humor, but things like this like always you know got my interest and my curiosity going. So I thought, all right, I don't know what this story is. I know nothing about it, but I'm going to write a column about it. So here's what you do first. First, fact, what happened? Okay, so I told you what happened. We know a congressman stole the Pope's water glass for whatever reason. Okay, now, what did he do with it? So I read the story. Turns out he took it to his office where he drank from it, and then he got other families to drink from it. And so then the question is, why? You know, why would he do this? And so in reading the story, he had said he did it because anything the Pope touches becomes blessed. And then he asked, how many people do you know that drank out of the same glass as the Pope? So I was like, oh, that's interesting. He's now asked us a question. So we get to answer it. That'll be a funny answer. And then you think, well, why, why wouldn't someone, you know, why don't we know more people who have drank out of the Pope's water glass? What's the funny answer? Like, why don't you drink after somebody? The answer is, I'm asking you. Germs. Thank you, because you hit germs. I had so, to also hit <laughs> unmute because I'm trying not to breathe in the microphone. Because okay. when I do sometimes, it sounds like I'm a dirty. <laughs> I just thought I lost my, my one audience member. No, <laughs> Stay with me, Landis. I'm, I'm over here trying to uh, okay. manage this board over here. This is another thing I've done before. I've kept uh, mute on. Too long. I haven't put it on soon enough, and I sound a little bit like a, a breathing apparatus while you're talking. So, yes, it's germs. I'll okay, say that thank now. you. I won't be asking you any more questions. <laughs> okay, so now you've got that much. All right, so then you start doing more research. Like, who is this guy, and what led to this? And then I find out he's a repeat offender. He actually took Obama's water glass after his inauguration speech. And then I'm like, well, that's the craziest thing. Like, why is this crazy congressman stealing water glasses? And what does he do with them? And so then I start looking into that, and it turns out that he keeps them in a curio. And so then I'm starting to think about what I have here. Okay, I have, I have some alliteration going. I've got a congressman. He's a klepto. Uh, he is crazy. He's got this curio. You know, so now you've got some alliteration. And then I'm also thinking, well, wait a minute. I've got some other alliteration going here. I've got a pope. I've got a pundit. Uh, there was a podium. And a glass was stolen. So then I start thinking, okay, what's a word that means taked or, you know, taken or stolen that begins with the word, the letter P? So I'm asking Landis again. He's, he's asleep at the wheel. Po- poached? Yeah, okay. Now, n- now I'm unmuted. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Poached, plucked. Uh, what was the one they came up with at night at Charlotte? Per, per, perlaid? What was that word? Purloined. Purloined. Purloined, <laughs> That's yes. a new one to me. <laughs> anyway, so you've got some alliteration Purloined, there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So then, then you kind of start moving into, okay, fantasy. Where will this guy strike next? So I start looking through the news stories. Oh, the UN, the United Nations, is meeting that same week. So maybe he's over there stealing glasses. You know, that would be kind of a funny take. And then um, where's another place that he might strike? Well, it's the year of the presidential debate. And this was the year that they were all still in it. So we had Trump, we had Clinton, we had Ben Carson and Rand Paul and Chris Christie. And I thought, okay, well, he could be stealing all their glasses, but that's not really funny. Like, well, what if I, what if they each had a glass that matched their personality? So then I started, you know, doing my brainstorming, making my list of all the different kinds of glasses. There's like a beer mug, and there's a champagne flute, and a double fashioned, and a cordial, and. So then I start matching glasses to each of the candidates. So I'll do something funny with that. Um, Then maybe I have a rant like, you know, this is insane. He's crazy. And what about what about Secret Service? Don't they have better things to do than to follow this idiot around? You know, you, you have a rant. 
then maybe I have a silly solution to this whole mess. So, I start so, kind so of, you're incorporating your, a lot of your bag of tricks so in, this in one, one piece. This yeah. had all my bags of tricks. All right. And so, so now I've got like all my material. I've got done all my brainstorming. I've done all my research. I, you know, I have a few ideas. And then, just like a puzzle, you start putting together the pieces. Mm. And is that the fun part? That's the fun part. <laughs> as long as you have all the pieces. What yeah. really stinks is you get done, and mm -hmm. then, like, the centerpiece is missing. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, and the you, dog can, ate it. Can, can you read it for us? Sure. Okay, so here's what I came up with. If you're a devout Catholic and a U.S. representative watching the Pope address Congress, which of the following actions do you take at the close of his speech? A, pray. B, cross yourself. C, shake hands with his holiness. Or D, storm the lectern and steal the Pope's water glass. Apparently, it's D. Because as the Pope left the congressional chamber last week, Representative Bob Brady grabbed Francis's drinking glass, took it to his office, and drank from it. And so did his wife and some staffers, with the rest of the water being bottled and saved to bless his grandchildren. And why would the parched pundit purposely poach the <laughs> pontiff's perched glass from the podium? Because anything the Pope touches becomes blessed, Brady said. How many people do you know that drank out of the same glass as the Pope? None, fool. We're approaching cold and flu season. <laughs> Plus, I think there's something about thy not stealing nor coveting thy neighbor's beverage. Your sin combined with social media has made you a famous soulless criminal with a runny nose. Soon to be infamous, this is his second swipe. Brady also took the glass used by President Obama at his first inauguration. The congressional klepto keeps it in a curio cabinet in his home. And now, to his political pinch, he will add his latest spiritual snag. I feel sorry for those grandkids. Instead of being willed valuable coins or baseball cards, they'll be inheriting Grandpa's stolen glass collection. And it's not even a full set. At least get two more. Maybe a glass from Michael Jordan and Charles Manson. That way you'd have political, spiritual, physical, and mental. And then you can call it the Personal Trait Series. Maybe he can hit the next round of presidential debates. He can lift Donald Trump's champagne flute, Ben Carson's cordial glass, Rand Paul's double old-fashioned glass, Mark Rubio's water pitcher, and Chris Christie's beer mug. I doubt he'll get a hold of whatever Hillary drinks out of. I'm sure her water is handed to her by a private server. I'm sure Brady's at the U.N. headquarters right now. They've got over 150 world leaders drinking water over there. But security is tight, and he's going to need a bigger curio. And about security, how's this guy getting so close to our world leaders that he's able to lift their glassware? What a pain for the Secret Service. They have to protect our presidents and pontiffs, and now our planet's China? And all because of a congressman with grubby hands looking for his next piece of glass. What Brady really needs are plates and some utensils. If he starts stealing dinnerware now, he could have a whole place setting by Christmas. I'll drink to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little innuendo at the end. My next piece of glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's great. And, but and that's you, being kind of um, dirty, but in a clean way. Yeah, yeah. You got uh, you got that in. I, that piece you just read though uh, illustrates how many different you know, tricks can be employed in one. And does sometimes, Tracy, does it just uh, come to you and click? And then other times it's more of a struggle when you're trying to put some of this together because you saw this headline, you got energized about it, you suddenly, you're moving in a certain direction. Some of that probably f found you easily through your muse, and some of it was more sitting down and thinking, right? Yeah, so a piece like that where all I have is the headline – um, you know, I wrote, you know, the pieces are 500 words. So, you know, the story is what it is. The guy stole the glass. I mean, that, that doesn't, that's only going to be a few sentences. Right. So that's where you have to really use your imagination and think of all the different elements that are part of that. So that's why I said, you have to research what happened. Who is this guy? Oh, wait, it happened before. Well, what is he doing with all these glasses? Mm -hmm. And then you start thinking, 
okay, well, where will he strike next? And where is he now? And, <laughs> and what's going to happen to his kids? And, and he, then you've got... He, he's, who, the glass who's bur- he's the glass burglar. You know? Yeah, I mean, you have to... And you have to like start thinking of all the different people. Like, yeah. you, you have... It's sort of like you, you have this tiny point in the middle, and then you keep moving out further. Okay, here he's, he's this person. He did this thing. Oh, it happened again. Who all's involved in that? Now we've got grandkids that are going to inherit this thing. Then you start thinking of other people that might have their glasses still. And you think about the people who are guarding these people in their glasses. And you know what? The world, you, that whole world kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And basically, you're taking that one idea, completely blowing it out of proportion. And that's what kind of makes it sort of hilarious. And then you come back to the central point. Do you find yourself smiling sometimes when you're writing some of these stories after you've done the research? <laughs> Every now and then I'll crack myself up. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily laugh at my own stuff, yeah. but sometimes there is like that little bit of like satisfying feeling when like just like that alliteration when you're really trying to work out the perfect, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, sentence that really says something. And, and, and uses, just a few words. And yeah. just a few words, yeah. but, you know, that all the letters started with a P, um, you know, you do go, okay, okay, I did it. Like, it's a little bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One piece I did, um, and I was reminded of it just because I ran into I ran into someone uh, uh, who's a big Eagles fan. She's married to Bill Sisnick, who's the Eagles producer. He produced all the Eagles, the band, their, all their music. But the Eagles were coming to town, and I had had this terrible day. I had run out of gas. Then the battery died. Then the tickets wouldn't print. Then my air conditioner broke. My family was coming into town, and we had been trying to go to this concert, like, for years. And I finally had tickets for my parents and my sisters, but the day was like a disaster. And I had a column due, I think, like the next day. Of course. And so, so you wrote about that, right? Well, I wanted to tell the story of everything that went wrong with the tickets and the AC and the battery and the gas. Oh, and I, then I got into a fight. Um, I'm a I'm a Duke fan, and there was this terrible Tar Heel standing in front of me, and we got yeah. into an argument at the gas station. And I'm sure they didn't think you were a terrible uh, and Blue Devil fan. <laughs> and I started yelling at the top of my lungs, go Duke, go Duke Blue Devils. But anyway, I wanted to tell the whole story. So you're obnoxious too, is that what you're saying? And I'm obnoxious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm a jerk. Um, but I wanted to tell that whole story only using song titles from the Eagles albums. Ah. So I told everything that happened that day using 27 Eagles titles. Was it so it was like Hotel California being in the middle of that? Somewhere. You check in, but you could never check out? Exactly. And so, but I just I just wanted to see if I could do it. Could I tell a story only using song titles by the Eagles? And so I did it, and it was one of my, what I would say, one of my masterpieces. It mm-hmm. ran in the paper. I didn't know Bill Sisnick, the mm-hmm. producer of the Eagles, lived in Charlotte, and he sent me an email, and he was like, that was awesome. <laughs> That's good. Well, Trace, this has been great. Uh, you've been awesome to come on and uh, help uh, help us help authors give voice to the written words uh, by doing this uh, members-only content. Uh, let's let's tell our loyal listeners here where they can uh, find out more about you. You've got a website. Yes, uh, tracyleecurtis.com. Right, and I, I'm looking at it now. You're kickboxing on the front of this uh, homepage. Here. I'm kickboxing yeah. on the front page. Yeah, yeah. Um, my books are available any place that sells books. Um, yeah. I have three books. So there's Holidays. Trophy Mom and Beach Bummed and uh, so you can get those at any place that sells books and online um, we like it when you buy local though right Landis? absolutely uh, Park, Park Road, Road Books, books yep. um, uh, is happy to hook you up um, I do have a novel out on submission. Maybe one day, wit happens, we'll make it out into the mainstream. Yeah, and you're also doing something else. Since I'm going to put this out in January, uh, you're going to be <laughs> dancing with the stars in <laughs> yes. February, right? I, I, <laughs> yeah. So glad you brought that up. Yeah, yes, yeah. I will be dancing with the stars. I'm dancing um, in, uh, for Carolina Breast Friends. Uh, we're raising money for the Pink House. Which is a terrific uh, nonprofit that helps men and women in Charlotte uh, battling breast cancer with uh, free 
programs, um, uh, nutrition plans, wigs, prosthetics, uh, exercise classes, um, all free to the public. It is, it's a wonderful uh, nonprofit. I'm, I'm honored to be dancing this year. I'm dancing with the co-creator, uh, Felipe Edmiston. How's it going? You, you, <laughs> <laughs> it's going. It's yeah, going slowly. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I have to say, I went into it a little overly confident. I was like, how hard can it be? You know, yeah, you, yeah. You, you dance, you shake, you move. Yeah. Um, cha-cha is what we're doing. It is very complicated. Okay. And these dancers make it look so effortless. But I'm here to tell you, it is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And that includes doing stand-up comedy so have you made your husband practice with you yet uh, he the guy can't he, he can't, can't he can't do it huh? he can't clap <laughs> to a beat no he's just glad he doesn't have to do, it. Glad have to do it okay well look tracy it's been great uh having you on today to talk uh humor writing it's uh i enjoyed reading your work and uh, look forward to seeing that novel out uh, someday it is a slow process sometimes so you know we, we authors have to be patient right you know we have to be very patient. Uh-huh. The patience of Job comes in handy. <laughs> so are you thinking about something to write that might be funny along those lines? You're not ready for that yet. You're in the moment. Correct. Yeah. Um, the, well, the Dancing mm-hmm. with the Stars. It's uh, coming soon. Yeah, that is, yeah, that yeah. is a gold mine exactly. as far as material okay. goes. So <laughs> we, might, we might all be reading about that one day. All right. Well, look, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, listeners, go check out Tracy at TracyBCurtis.com and uh, maybe sign up to get your tickets to support her calls and February and uh, watch your uh, shake a leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. Thanks.